It's a pleasure to shuffle these cards. (laughs) (laughs) That's important. Welcome to Cardboard and Wine, Episode 3. I'm Mamie. And I'm Josh. Grab a glass, pull up a chair, and let's talk about some games. Today on the show, we just can't get a handshake when we need one as we explore the classic two-player card game, Lost Cities. Well, it's been a busy week. Yes, a very busy week this week. Yeah, I feel like there has been very little time for gaming, and that's a very unfortunate thing. Yeah, we've got in a little bit of play time together, but not much. You've been traveling, and we've been both been busy with work. Yeah, this is a really busy time at work for both of us, and I was gone to a conference out of town over the weekend. and That means a little less cardboard and a little more wine. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, and a little bit of not being woken up at 6.30 a.m. for me. Oh, yeah, not not quite as much for me. That is the one good thing about work travel, wouldn't you say, is... Oh, yeah, you get to sleep in. There's nobody to wake you up. Yeah, and, and just take care of yourself for a few days. Definitely a perk. But was certainly glad to be home and, and really was craving some gaming. I was kind of going through the withdrawals uh, after a few days in a row of no games. But you and the kids played some games while I was gone. We did. We did. While you were gone, we spent a good chunk of Saturday morning at the table playing games. You know, We started with Rat Attack Cat, which is a favorite card game of our kids. And then we played some King Domino, which you introduced them to a few weeks ago. And Did they beat you? Yes, Jack beat me. Our five-year-old son had a solid victory. He really does understand that game in a way that I struggle with sometimes. I think we're ready for a family King Domino tournament. Might be competitive. That's a good idea. We also played Fashion Show. You know, that's the one we picked up as a giveaway at that Cape Fear game booth at the Who's Turn convention. We had some extra points that we could use for a free game, and we saw that one and thought that our seven-year-old daughter, who fancies herself something of a fashionista, uh, would enjoy it. It's actually pretty fun. You're matching up outfits to match the pattern that comes up on the dice, and the fixed dice mechanism that comes with it is actually pretty cool. I'd like to see that in some other games. Yeah, the dice are... And when I first saw it, I had no idea how that actually worked. But yeah, it's like these four dice that are attached in this little plastic apparatus so that they spin around and then sort of when you set it down, it locks the four dice into place into a, a certain pattern of the four dice faces. It's pretty pretty neat little thing, and you don't have to chase dice all over the place. Which, for a kid's game, is amazing, because the next game we played was Sagrada. Ooh. You know, after, <laughs> yeah, after we talked about it on the podcast, I thought it would be fun to try introducing Sagrada to them, and they actually did pretty well with it. I started out just doing the dice placement and placing according to the placement rules without any of those other objectives. And then I introduced the secret color objective and we played with with just that one objective. And they actually did pretty good. The hardest part of it was keeping the dice on the table and keeping them from being rolled across the room. I will say uh, next time I open the box, probably right after we get off of here, I'm going to open it up and count and make sure that all of the dice are accounted for. <laughs> They're all accounted for. We didn't lose any dice. Um, but the kids really did pretty well with it. I think that's probably about all they could keep track of for now. But I think it won't be long before I can introduce them to those other tools and objectives. But they got all the placement rules. They got and- all the placement rules and they got the, um, you know, the secret color and then trying to get more dice and more pips of that color. They were They were pretty good at it. It was fun. 
Yeah, you know, I think it's it's interesting having younger children. They start out as, as infants, and when they get to be two years old or three years old, and, and you enjoy games, you do try to get the little kid games right. and start with the Candyland yeah. and things like that. And I think at some point you... If you're not careful, you don't realize what they're what they're actually capable of. Yeah, I was surprised with Sagrada. I wasn't sure at first, and I definitely had to give some guidance the first few times. But after the first few rounds, they knew exactly what dice they wanted and where they needed to place them. No, that's really cool. And actually, that reminds me of some gaming that that I did this week, which was not a whole lot. But one of the things I did was I went to a friend's house. Uh, over the weekend, and it was his birthday, and he had played Terraforming Mars at, at our house months ago, and I I hadn't thought much about it. He's not somebody I game with all the time, but I guess it made an impression on him, because for his birthday, what he really wanted was to have a few guys over and play Terraforming Mars. Um, so anyway, we played, and one of, the, one of the other guys who was there, he actually had shared that he had just purchased Terraforming Mars and had played it, I think, with his seven or eight year old. Oh, wow. And I guess it went okay. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes we underestimate what they're capable of. Do you think they're ready for Gloomhaven yet? Um, I don't think I'm ready <laughs> to play, play Gloomhaven with them yet. That's really what we played a whole lot since the last episode is we got Gloomhaven out on the table. We've we've spent multiple hours playing Gloomhaven. We've gotten through three or four scenarios. Uh, we are undefeated so far. So far. Yeah. and The last uh, one was close. They've all been a little bit close. Uh, I will say uh, this game is quite the table hog. I had the idea because I had heard this that one of the downsides of Gloomhaven is the amount of time it takes just to set up the boards and the characters and the monsters and all that stuff. And that's really no joke. And so I had this idea that here in the office slash studio slash everything room, <laughs> et cetera, all. room uh, that we could put a card table in here and that could be <laughs> the dedicated Gloomhaven room. It lasted for the first of the campaigns and then there wasn't enough space. Yeah, the first campaign board was quite a bit smaller and yeah, there's no way. So It's back on our dining room table. Back on the dining room table uh, where it sits for most of the time. I think it's quite beautiful to look at. but Sure. Hey, we got an iTunes review. You you sent that to me. It was a very kind iTunes review. I know, yeah. This was a, a very, very kind and generous review by Ben Peach One. And uh, and Ben said, I love this. He entitled it like a refreshing Moscato. Oh, nice. He even uses our theme. I uh, know. Perfect. And, and so Ben said, I found the podcast to be really enjoyable. It's easy to listen to and the conversation is engaging. It's very young, but I look forward to the future and anticipate new episodes. Cheers. Thank you, Ben. That makes me blush a little. That was wonderful. That was wonderful. So thank you, Ben. And uh, we love the feedback, especially just getting started with this podcast. It really does mean a lot. So uh, so thanks for that. Also, uh, the Instagram feed has been really fun. There's a lot of people that love to share board game photos and have discussions on Instagram. Which is good because I love to take board game photos. You sure do. And this <laughs> really just gives you an opportunity, a venue for sharing those. Uh, but anyway, if you'd like to uh, see the games we're playing. Uh, we'd love to connect with you there. We are at Cardboard and Wine on Instagram. Speaking of wine, we are drinking some wine. Yes. You know, this is funny. Uh, <laughs> I noticed, uh, I just, this was a bottle that we happened to have opened already. I might have opened it while you were gone. Yeah, no, I totally would do the same thing. But this bottle happens to have horses on the label. And I believe the last time we talked about wine on the show on episode one, uh, we were drinking wine with horses on the label. 
Maybe I'm drawn to horse-themed wines. Uh, maybe so. That's uh, strange. This doesn't feel like a normal thing, but <laughs> but coincidentally, this is another one with horses on it. This is the 14 Hands Winery Stampede Red Blend from Columbia Valley. And while you were finishing up a few notes over there, I was poking around. This is a blend of five different grapes, three of which I could pronounce. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, this is the Syrah Merlot Vignet. Cabernet Sauvignon, and the Morvedra. Morvedra. Yeah. Hmm. So it's a good one. I like it. All right. We should probably talk about our game for this week, Lost Cities. Josh, tell us a little bit about Lost Cities. Sure. So Lost Cities is a card game for two players, and it came out way back in 1999. Uh, so that was that was before we were, were gaming Definitely. It was designed by a guy named Reiner Knizia. Maybe you've probably heard of I Reiner I have Knizia. heard of Reiner Knizia. He really is a legend in modern board game design from the early 90s all the way through today. One of the games that he designed, Mamie, is another one I'm sure we'll talk about, one that we enjoy, Modern Art. Oh, Modern Art is one of our favorites. Although I think I say that about all the games. You like them all. <laughs> well, that's not true. Uh, but anyway, in Lost Cities, you have a deck of 60 cards, and they are in five different colors, and each color has numbered cards ranging from 2 to 10, as well as three handshake cards. I don't know if that's officially what they're called, but they have pictures of people shaking hands and have hands on them. Players begin with a hand of eight random cards, and on your turn, it's really easy. You just play a card, and then you draw a card to replace it. Now, when you play the card... You only have two choices. Uh, you can either start or add a card to an expedition in front of you in ascending order, or you can discard a card face up in the appropriate pile in the middle. However, if you discard these cards in the middle, they can be picked up by your opponent or even by you later on. So I mentioned starting an expedition. So when you play the first card of a color in front of you, that represents starting a new expedition. And the only rule after that for playing a card is in front of you is that the numbers have to go up in ascending order. So if you've played a yellow four in front of you and you want to play another yellow card, it has to be at least a five or a higher number on top. A yellow three is no good for you anymore. Uh, once the draw deck is exhausted, you add up the numbers in each of your expeditions and subtract 20. So you're hoping to get at least enough cards to get you over 20 points. Now, if that wasn't interesting enough, there are those three handshake cards I mentioned in each color. These can only be played prior to any of the numbered cards at the very start of the expeditions, and they double, triple, or quadruple your final point value for each expedition. So, for example, if you had two green handshakes followed by a 5, 6, 7, and 10, so that would be 28 points, minus 20 is 8 times 3 for those two handshake cards for a total of 24 points. But beware... These handshakes multiply any negative points for expeditions where you have under 20 points. So the handshakes really are a high risk, high reward. So that's a little bit about how the game works. So Mamie, uh, I'm trying to think, when did we first play this game? You know, I feel like we've had this game for quite a while. I think it was one of the first games that we purchased. You could probably look it up and find out when. All right, from the magic of podcasting and editing technology, I'm going to tell you. We purchased this game back in 2006. So that has been a while. And at that point, I remember there were several other games we bought around that same time that were all kind of two-player games. And one of the things that drew us to it was that it's kind of small and simple. You know, it's in a small box. It's easy to throw in a bag. Back in 2006, before we had children, we were frequently going to sit at a coffee shop 
or sit on the lawn of our favorite local market and have a bottle of wine and play a game at the table there. And so games that were small and easy to throw in a bag and take and play were very attractive back in those days. Yeah, and not to mention, I was a grad student and you were a starting teacher, so we did not have a lot of money and this was not a very expensive game. That's true. Our budget for games was definitely different in 2006. And so, you know, I think the thing that drew it to it was that it is really simple. I mean, the components are a deck of cards and that small board is kind of used to house those discarded cards, but it's it's just a small, simple, portable two-player game. When I looked this up, I realized this was one of the very first games we got in one of our very first game orders we ever purchased oh, online wow. back in 2006. And it's a game that we continue to play off and on to this very day. I mean, it's not like we're playing it week in and week out, but it is certainly a game that hits the table at least once every few months. Yeah, I know often if we want to play something kind of quick, this is the one we'll go to. We have a a good selection of other two-player games, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of them, but I would say this is one of our favorites and one that we get out more often than some of the others. Yeah, so what do you think about the components? You mentioned that there's really not a whole lot of components. There are cards and a small board, but what do you think of this? I think the components are really a nice quality. The cards are slightly bigger than kind of a typical playing card, which I think is actually a good thing. It makes them easy to handle, and they are a nice texture that shuffles really easily. I know that I get frustrated when uh, a deck of cards is, is stiff and doesn't shuffle because sometimes I then bend them, which is not a good thing. Um, <laughs> and you know, and the, the board folds out and folds up nice, and it's a, a thick quality cardboard. I mean, it's a deck of cards, so it's not complex, but it's quality for what it is. Yeah, no, I agree. This has, whatever it is, whatever type of cards these are, um, I agree, they shuffle really well. And and that's a small thing, but not really a small thing when it is a card game. (laughs) Uh, We we have another, a couple of card games that have these really either super thin or super stiff cards that make the shuffling challenging. It's frustrating. It is, And, and I'll say too, I was, you know, we played this, just last week, and the cards still look really great. We played this game a ton. Uh, everything looks really nice. I think the artwork is nice. Uh, it's fun. It evokes a little bit of theme for me. Yeah, it's uh, not heavy on theme, but but it's definitely there in the expeditions. You can see it going from the handshake at the start a little deeper into the expedition as the numbers go up until in the, the final, the 10 card, which is the highest card, you're reaching the destination of that expedition. Yeah, I think it's a subtle theme, but it's kind of fun. Kind of a fun, consistent theme. Yeah, I agree. Components, great. But what do you think about playing this game? Well, you know, one of the things that I like about the game is that gameplay is really fairly simple, but not easy. It's simple in that really all you're doing, as you mentioned earlier, is placing a card and then drawing a card to replace it in your hand. So there's not a lot of complexity there. But depending on the cards that you start out with, there's a lot of tough choices to be made. When we were playing this past week, I got all high cards at the beginning, which is really tough because if you place them, then you're not going to be able to play things above them to continue your expedition because there's not enough. You know, If you start out with a nine, the only thing you could place on it is a 10. But then you also don't want to risk discarding it for fear of your opponent picking it up and then having that high value card. So there's some tough choices to make, even though it's a really simple game. Yeah. I mean, most of the tension in this game, and there really is quite a bit of tension that comes into such a simple card game, is making that decision between 
All right, I don't want to necessarily play this card myself yet because I would really like to get some handshakes or lower cards before I start my own expedition. But my opponent hasn't started this color's expedition yet either. And if I put this, you know, if I put this blue six down now, maybe they have a lot of blue cards and they're going to pick it up and that'd be a great card for them. So, so yeah, knowing what to discard is a really tricky decision, especially at the beginning of the game. Well, and it's also challenging to try to figure out how many expeditions to start, right? Like sometimes you start one and it goes nowhere and you're later in the game trying to decide, is it too late to try to start another expedition? Am I going to be able to complete it before the deck runs out? And you often get into this place where you're intentionally taking cards off the discard pile just to keep the draw deck from running out because that signals the end game. So there's a a lot going on there, even though it's a simple gameplay. Yeah. And that's a mechanism of this game that I think is kind of neat. What you mentioned, how you can really control the pace of the game and how quickly the ending of the game comes around. Because as I mentioned, the game ends when that draw deck is exhausted and it it ends immediately at that point. And so, you know, you're kind of keeping an eye on what you are doing, but also you're keeping an eye on how far away your opponent is because it's all out in the open, how many expeditions they've started and how many points they have on their different expeditions. Um, And if you see, you know, Mamie has four expeditions started. She's made pretty good progress on one, but she's got a ways to go on the other two or three maybe suddenly a strategy for me might be, well, I've got two pretty solid expeditions. I'm going to keep drawing from that draw deck every time to rush the end of the game versus by picking those cards up off the board. You know, you either pick a card up off the discard pile on the middle of the board or you pick one up off the deck. So every time you don't pick one off the deck, you're extending the game by a certain number of rounds. So that is just a really neat mechanism that really integrates well into the gameplay and the decision-making is not just what card to play, but if you want to then pick a card up from the discard or from the the deck. I think that's cool. Yeah. Another thing about gameplay that I don't think we mentioned earlier is that because each individual game is fairly short, we tend to play more than one round and to kind of keep a rolling score. Um, I think if you just play one game, it's a little too simple for one person to start out with a good hand and have an advantage. But if you play through two or three or five, we usually play three or five rounds, it, it kind of evens out that possible advantage or disadvantage that would come from a starting hand. Yeah, and, and each round takes about 10 minutes. Yeah, they're I would very say. short. Yeah, very short. Actually, I would say it almost takes as much time to calculate your score. <laughs> the end, <laughs> That's true, it does. Play. So, so let's actually move on. We've talked a little bit about the gameplay. What's your favorite thing about this game? Yeah, I think I've already said it. I like that it's simple in terms of being easy to learn, quick to break out and play at any time, but there's just enough complexity in that decision-making mechanism to still keep it engaging and fun. Yeah, and I'll say I like the way the cards shuffle. I know we talked about Uh, that. It's true. But when I think about cards that shuffle nice, the Ticket to Ride cards, the full-size ones from the 910 expansion, but these, like they're a little bigger and they just shuffle great. It's a pleasure to shuffle these cards. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. They have a good shuffle feel. But I'll, I kind of I dig the theme on this one and the artwork. Uh, so Reiner Knizia is, is known somewhat for his abstract games. I actually looked this up. He was a PhD in math, which kind of makes sense because a lot of his games do have, it, there's this feeling that 
behind them is some math. This one definitely does. And then some sort of generic theme was pasted on top of this mathematical algorithm <laughs> that's behind it. And this game is totally like that. But I sort of like the exploration theme and the tension we mentioned that really does come from, all right, how thin can I spread myself? Am I going to try to go for a lot of points by doing lots of expeditions, or am I going to try to just do a couple expeditions, but really do them thoroughly? It's getting kind of late in the game. This is risky. Almost, to me, has that feeling of the risk of being an explorer, and you don't want to get caught at the wrong time, but this may be completely over. I think I think you may be stretching it just a little bit, but I know what you're saying. I mean, I think it does pull out some of those same emotions quite abstractly. Like I said, I like that ability to speed up or slow down the game. But I just really love the tension of this game. You know, when I think about Lost Cities and I think about playing Lost Cities, I think tension, but good tension that comes from really interesting but challenging decisions. And I think the degree to which this game evokes those challenging decisions in such an easy rule set and a quick game is probably the biggest strength of this game for me. I would say that's a strength. It's also sometimes a challenge for me. I I can become a little frustrated when I get a starting hand that's really terrible and I know that it's going to be hard to play. Yeah, that that's kind of a good lead in, Mamie. Um what what do you like least about this game? I think I think if you were to just play one round of this game, I would I would say that I dislike kind of how much of an advantage or disadvantage your starting hand can give you. If you have a bad starting hand, it's very difficult to build those expeditions. And that that can be a little frustrating. I think as long as you're playing multiple rounds, that kind of levels out and there's not really anything else I dislike. Yeah, what you said is absolutely true. There is a high degree of randomness based on the starting hand you get and the order to which you draw cards. You know, we played a game the other night where I'd been working on on an expedition and on one of the last rounds, the cards I'd, card I drew was a 10 yeah, for an expedition that was I already had. <laughs> and so that's a huge swing. But you're right. I mean, played over several rounds, it all works out. And for me, you know, I can tolerate that degree of randomness in a game that takes 10 to 15 minutes right. to play. I would have a very different viewpoint if there was that degree of randomness in a two-hour game. But for this, uh, you know, it kind of fits and adds to the fun a little bit. Any feelings this game evokes? I think we've hit on most of them. I think, you know, for me, it, it's just kind of a fun, easy game to play. There can occasionally be that frustration and that tension that you mentioned is definitely there. Um, but it is. It's usually a good tension. It's like excitement of trying to make the right choice. And when you do draw those those tens in the last round on the expedition you already have, it's like euphoria. <laughs> no, that, that's totally true. That's totally true. And, and I love that decision of... All right, is it too late to start a new expedition? Should I go for it? Should I take the risk or should I not? It's just it's just kind of a fun, uh, fun decision making. So, so when would we break this game out? Well, it's a two-player game, right? So it, it would be when it's just the two of us or you know, we're playing with one other person. And I like this game for any time where you want something that you can play for maybe half an hour, an hour. Um, you don't want to get into anything too in-depth. I also like that because it's so small, it's easily portable. You know, when we take a little trip, little getaway, we can take it with us and play a game sitting in a coffee shop. I really like that. Yeah, I totally agree. This is a game that I recommend all the time to friends 
who, especially couples who are looking for games or or somebody that's trying to introduce their partner to gaming, this is a great entry-level two-player game for sure. I did want to mention a couple things. So the copy we have, we got this one back in uh, 2006, as I mentioned. I think this is one of the original copies. I did want to mention if you're looking for this game, uh, there is also a Lost Cities, the board game. Oh, I didn't know that. that yes. That is, is it the same designer? It is the same designer. Uh, it's a little more complex version of the same theme, I believe. It has a little more involved. It's not just a card game. So if you look this game up because you're interested in purchasing it, just make sure you're getting Lost Cities, the card game. It's about 14 15 bucks when I look, looked into it. Uh, the board game is a little more expensive. Don't waste your time with that. Uh, I poked around a few reviews, but uh, it doesn't really seem like that's probably what you want to go for. Also, I'll mention too, at some point, they came out with a sixth expedition expansion that adds a sixth color, gray for some reason. First <laughs> of, of all, colors. gray is random. And second of all, that kind of seems unnecessary. Yeah, you don't need that stuff. Uh, for, for what it is, uh, just get Lost Cities as is. You won't be disappointed. It's a great game. All right, so let's talk about our final ratings and final thoughts. So as a reminder... Our cardboard and wine rating scale, we've got a one to five scale where one is an empty bottle of wine. Sad, disappointing, something you should probably put in your recycling. And then uh, two would be like a, a two buck chuck, the, the bottom shelf, the two ninety nine bottle of wine at your grocery store. Um, if you don't have any other options, it'll do the trick. Um, a three, pretty middle of the road, like a wine in a box. In the right setting, there's some good things about it, but uh, maybe some some things you don't like so much. Four is going to be like a good quality Malbec. It's easy to enjoy regularly. You pour a glass and you're looking forward to having some more. And then a five is going to be a big, bold California cab full of complexity, a game that's only going to get better over time and with age. So Mamie, what are your final thoughts on Lost Cities? Yeah. So for me, Lost Cities is a really solid four. It's that Malbec it's something that we enjoy. We play it regularly. We will continue to play it. It doesn't have the complexity of a lot of the other games that we play. It's not quite as heavy, but that's not a downside to it. It's still a really enjoyable game. Yeah, that is totally true. I'm gonna. I'm right there with you. I'm going to give it a four also. Um, to me, this game is a shelf staple. Like I said, I've recommended this game to a lot of people, especially to couples who have lots of opportunities to game as a pair. It's quick, it's portable, and and as we said, it's surprisingly tense for a game of its length and of its weight. Um, it does take a little bit of mental math to do the scoring, which I don't necessarily mind. Uh, but you may want to have your phone calculator. I was going to say, handy. I usually get, I usually have my phone <laughs> handy. Uh, especially if you play like best of three or something, the math can kind of right. add up a little bit. You need a piece of paper and a pencil. Yeah. But for any couple that's getting into board games, especially, or is already into board games, at under $15, this is an auto buy. For what it is, I'm going to give it four out of five. All right. So that wraps up episode three. Thank you all so much for listening to Cardboard and Wine. If you're interested in our show notes or links and other fun info about the games we discuss on the show, you can visit our website at cardboardandwine.com. If you have feedback on the show or suggestions for a future show, you can send us a tweet at Board and Wine. You can email us cardboardandwine at gmail.com or jump into our guild on Board Game Geek. As I mentioned, we're on Instagram at Cardboard and Wine. Or, like Ben, you can leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Since we are a brand new podcast, it'll help new listeners find our show. 
All right, Mamie. Until next time. Cheers, cheers and, and happy, happy gaming. gaming.